Hello and welcome to A Slice of Advice with Advice Services Alliance, the umbrella group charity for the UK social welfare advice sector. Each episode we will be serving up a slice of the key issues in the UK social welfare advice sector today, hearing from friends and colleagues about the work they are doing to support their communities and champion the importance of advice giving. This episode is the second in a series about the value of advice for Generation Covid. Hosting this week is myself, Rachel Russell, Business Support Officer at ASA. And myself, Harry Robinson, an ASA volunteer who's also worked in the advice sector in varied advice roles for the last three years. In this episode, we are exploring, with two expert guests, the big issues facing young people today, the challenges of youth advice services trying to help them, and what they think the future of youth advice should look like. We have Valerie Clark and James Kenrick joining us today. Uh, Valerie is Director and Senior Solicitor at Youth Legal and James is a freelance consultant specialising in young people's access to justice. This interview will be the second in our two-part series looking into the value of advice for today's Generation Covid after we heard from Simone Spray, CEO of 42nd Street in part one. Valerie and James both have an extensive and impressive career history in the sector and so please could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your work in youth advice. Valerie if you want to go first. Oh thanks for having us here. Um, Yeah well I mean you pretty well covered everything except that I guess I've been doing this for about 15 years now working with young people. Um, It's it's, it's really interesting it's certainly very rewarding Um, but certainly we need more people there. Youth League has been going for about 10 years now. And, um, and, uh, and I thought, I always say I wish I was out of a job because then I know that all the young people were taken care of, but we're not. It's just getting worse. And James? Yeah. Hi. Um, thanks so much for inviting me on here. I'm, yeah. It's really great. Actually, I'm really pleased you're, um, you're dedicating the first couple of these podcasts to the subject of youth advice given that's my kind of specialist subject so um but actually i've got a background in in uh in advice services for adults and so i worked for a while in cabs and law centers but um but i have i've spent the last 20 years or so developing youth advice services mainly at youth access the, the national membership body for youth advice services um uh, but then I went uh, went freelance last year, which has taken me into some interesting new directions, including some, um, you know, including working with Valerie, but also some international work around young people's legal needs and and access to justice. So um, yeah, really looking forward to this podcast. So I think a really good opening question, to sort of obviously for both people. Um, in terms of the main issues that young people in the UK are facing today, uh, including the impacts of COVID-19 and maybe separate to that, what would you say are the main issues really? Um, James, if you want to go first. Sure. Um, I mean, times are pretty tough for young people at the moment. Um, they're, they've been priced out of the housing market for quite a while. Uh, their opportunities in the jobs market are highly unequal with those from disadvantaged backgrounds experiencing major barriers to accessing well-paid, stable careers. Young people are very concerned about the future of the planet that older generations are leaving them to inherit. And, you know, all of this has been fueling a, a youth mental health crisis as well. And then on top of all that, they're now experiencing the sharp end of the pandemic. Um, so we know that, you know, half of the fall in employment since the pandemic started has fallen on 16 to 24 year olds, uh, disproportionately 
those already experiencing other inequalities. And those in higher education um, you know, are unable to enjoy the kind of rounded experience they might have been looking forward to whilst building up huge debts for the privilege. Uh, so, you know, all in all, uh, many young people are feeling pretty hard done by uh, and understandably so. And, and we also know that all those kind of issues that I've just mentioned um, are at the root of, of, of many of young people's legal needs. Yeah, but with... Um Legal advice. Uh, we've every, everything. They, 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 the young people need everything, really, because they, they also phone us up and ask about you know everything, uh, all, all types of issues, from employment to you know education, etc. But I think housing and community care really are pretty well up there. However, um, we did a survey a while back, and, and and it came back that most young people wanted advice on uh, debt and money advice as well. Um, and, and now we're giving immigration advice, and, and that's always, always right up there, um, uh, it, you know, for a, a huge, huge amount of calls we get for that, um, high demand. Um, but in particular, we've seen a lot of care leavers being um, accommodated in unsuitable accommodation. They get left um, without adequate support in inadequate housing, and they end up, re you know, that happens when they're 18, they reach 21, and they're victims because they're too old for that type of accommodation, say, and then they're made homeless, and they, they're they they're not in what's called priority need for housing, so they're, they're homeless from 21 onwards. Um, and we've seen that a lot. Uh, we've seen, been seeing a lot of homeless 16 and 17-year-olds because of the lack of support from social services. Social services, uh, children's services have the main duty to accommodate and support homeless 16 and 17 year, uh, year olds. Um, and again, unsuitable accommodation, accommodation that, uh, that you know, they don't have proper support in. Um, and, and then on top of that, our, our, our network has been reporting that young people in care are, are not getting so much support or not getting as much support or what they need. I mean, it's, it's always, it's been difficult over the last 10 years of uh, austerity because there's been such huge cuts. The social services and children's services that um, you know the, the social workers aren't out there. Um, I do try to feel sorry for social workers actually because they're unable to provide the services that that the young people need. Um, and there was changes with coronavirus act provisions where social workers didn't have to keep in regular contact every six weeks with young people. Um, and 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 every, everybody saw a large reduction in the provision of um, of young people who are living in foster care as well. Um, pathway plans were being done. That's how you, the young person plans their future, and um, or were not adequate and are not adequate. And um, and yeah, and, the, and the young people transitioning, young disabled people transitioning to adulthood is a huge difficult period for them because they're going from children's services to adult services and medicine and everything. And uh, yeah, and that that that's just that's just gone as well. It um, so it just leaves them all on a cliff edge. Um, yeah, so I'm, everything, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Not one in particular, really, I'm afraid. <laughs> All in my suffix. Um, well, and I suppose, obviously, it's not like these things are going to disappear anytime soon, but do you think there's any problems that we will be seeing sort of emerging in the next few years that potentially aren't, I don't want to say not an issue right now, but may become more of a bigger issue, uh, potentially as we move out of sort of, you know, lockdown, move out of restrictions, move on from that? Is there any issues that you think maybe you see in the start of at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, interestingly, we, we started seeing um, evidence in legal needs surveys of, of a rise in young people's legal needs relative to the rest of the population actually before the pandemic, um, probably related to um, the unequal impact of austerity policies on, on young people, which, um, which Valerie's just mentioned. And, and that was pretty much across the board of social welfare legal problems. Um, and then since the pandemic started, you know, there were, there were further signs of, 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 a, of a greater increase in young adults' needs, particularly in areas uh, like employment, housing, welfare benefits and discrimination. Now, I think that'll be, you know, that's maybe the short term um, sort of impact we might see. And then I would expect over a longer period for all the other, the, the sort of wider list of social welfare issues that, that, that normally affect young people, which Valerie was talking about, to, to kind of, you know, to, that there will be the, that, that impact on mental health. And then we'll see young people coming through with debt problems and all sorts of other things. Um, and you know, I think also we're going to see that these problems are going to be primarily concentrated as a, as they probably, you know, as they you know, have always been really amongst the most disadvantaged, marginalized groups of young people. So, you know, that will be young people who have no family or economic stability to fall back on, who may be living independently from, from other adults. So, you know, groups like care leavers, young parents, young migrants, these groups are some of the, the sort of key groups actually that youth legal are, are working with. And um, I think we're going to see increased levels of need amongst these young people. And that's going to be exacerbated by digital exclusion for mm -hmm. some of those young people and, and also the mental health impacts of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. And, and I think another problem that we're likely to see coming out of the pandemic is, is a kind of increasing lack of accountability of, of public services for how they respect and uphold young people's rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it'd be nice to see all the time and effort that public servants currently spend gatekeeping services being spent actually helping young people instead. Um, but, you know, there's a huge shortfall in resources. So, you know, within the system to support young people. So unfortunately, we're quite likely to only see an increase in gatekeeping uh, and therefore in, in the need for, um, for the kind of legal assistance that Youth Legal provides to secure access to, to services which young people are entitled to in law. Yes, in terms of that, I suppose <clears throat> it might, might be a bit of a redundant question asking you to this one, but um, why why would you say that we need special advice service just for young people? Um, obviously, you've identified all of these uh, different things that are affecting them, but um, yeah, if you'd like to just expand on that, I suppose. Um, Valerie, if you'd like to go first on that one. The law is different in some respects for young people, um, up to 21 and up to 25 for disabled young people. And, and you, you do need lawyers uh, and advisors that are specially trained um, with specific skills to work with young people. You can't just treat a young person like you do an adult because you expect the adult to turn up, but young people, you know, a 16 year old won't necessarily turn up to an appointment. It might take two or three goes and you have to understand that that's what's going on. You have to understand that they take a long time to tell you what their problem is. They might have been brought up in a, you know, in an abusive family and you have to get them to trust you. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of time as well. You know, what we find is that you have to put, you have to put that extra effort in. You have to know who their contacts are and you have to phone their contacts and try and find them because you don't know what's happened to them. You know, you don't want them to disappear. Um, 
that's why you have to have a good network uh, with you and with people who refer to you, you know how to get back to them and they have contacts with contacts. What we don't see is, what we do see is, we, is that services don't respect young people's rights and young people really need to know what their rights are and what redress there is out there for, for them. Uh, and, and they don't, and they don't. Um, you know, for instance, I mean, this is sort of a wider, but an example is you can apply as homeless to any council in England or Wales. And yet everybody goes, oh, really? Because as James talked about the gatekeeping, they'll say, oh, no, no, you, you don't live around here. You have to go away and go apply somewhere else. Well, that's illegal. That's unlawful. You can't do that. Um, and if they stop you from doing that, then that's a legal issue and you need to get legal advice for that. But people just don't understand that. They'll just turn away and walk away, especially young people will, will do that more likely than an older person that will say, um, an adult will say, no, you know, I, I want my rights or whatever. Also, research has shown that some young people's brains are not developed until 25, or at least up until 25. They just develop, uh, uh, take time to develop. Um, therefore, it's argued that they should be treated differently in law. Now, our keynote speaker, um, uh, Laura Jaynes, who's the director of the Howards League, she's our keynote speaker in our conference that's coming up in October. She's, she's going to be speaking about research about that. And it's it being tried in criminal law, and it doesn't seem to be in civil law. So that, that's going to be interesting to hear what she's going to say about that. Um, most importantly, they want somewhere to go and understand them. Um, and, and somewhere they feel safe and confident. In, uh, and they do so in attending our offices. We've our offices are in a, um, a youth center, a youth club. So they don't feel, you know, they don't feel, um, uh, you know, they feel confident in coming there. Um, uh, and, and as I said, it takes a long time to build trust. Um, and, and if the legal advisor doesn't have that leeway to take the time with the clients, that's, uh, including rebooking this appointment, they, they won't come back. They won't come back. You also have to understand you can't give a young person too many things to do. You give them one thing at a time. So it takes a long time to go through their case with them as well. Um, and again, James is talking about, you know, the cuts and everything, mainstream services, including actually mainstream services, including high street solicitors. They just, they just, they just cannot meet a young person's needs. Um, you know, they just don't have, we, we've got sort of grant funding that, that helps us. You know, we've got the legal aid funding and the grant funding, um, as well. But, uh, you couldn't do without grant funding. And that's why it's so important for funders to understand, uh, the needs of young people as well. And uh, yeah, sorry, James, same, same questions. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think Valerie's covered it, to be honest. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think um, people should underestimate how different that kind of knowledge and skill set is that is needed to provide an effective service to young people. You know, um, they want to get help from someone who's skilled in listening to young people, understands young people, takes them seriously uh, you know, in settings which are just for young people. Um, and where they can get help with a range of legal and non-legal issues all, all in one place. And they, and they can't find any of that really in, in what I would call mainstream adult advice services. Um, so, you know, and there's loads of, of evidence actually that's, that young people are very reluctant to approach adult advice services and actually get worse outcomes when they do as well and as Valerie was saying it is ultimately all about trust um, and many young people um, struggle to to trust adult services um, and and then sort of related to that you know um, you know there's that low awareness of, of rights and services which is which is very relevant to that so so we know that um, that you know Young adults experience about 5 million um, legal problems a year in England and Wales, um, and only 3% of, of those young people will, will find their way to a lawyer. 
And that gap between, um, you know, between need and provision is much bigger for, for young people than it is for other age groups. It, you know, and the, the research all backs that up from legal needs surveys. So services like Youth Legal and Just for Kids Law, and unfortunately the list is not much longer than that, um, you know, are, are filling a really critical gap. It's and but uh, but are kind of plugging um, only bits of of, of, the, of the of those holes that exist because um, you know in most of the country uh, actually young people don't have any access to specialist legal advice um, so there's a real need to expand provision. Yeah, of course. I think um, when Advice Services Alliance did our general piece of research on advising Londoners. Um, looking at sort of the advice gap throughout London, um, gaps in advice for young people was something that really stood out. Um, so yeah, that's definitely, definitely understand why the, the gap is so big. Um, so ne the next question then, what role do youth advice organisations play in connecting young people to other services that may be able to support them to navigate and address the complex and multiple challenges they may face? Um, if James goes first, that one. Sure. Um, I mean, young people actually want all the help that they need in one place. Um, and they they very easily get lost in the system where this doesn't happen. So uh, as far as possible, it's important for youth advice services to be integrated with, with all the other support that young people are going to need. And that's particularly the case in relation to mental health support, which we know, you know, has a very close interrelationship um, there's a very close interrelationship between young people's legal problems and, and their mental health to the extent that actually there's a very strong case for youth advice to be seen as a, as a cost effective mental health intervention. Um, but essentially you can't provide legal advice effectively, um, for young people if you do it in a bubble in isolation from, from the other support they need. Um, and I know, you know, Valerie and, and Youth Legal have put a lot of effort into developing those kind of joint working relationships with, with those other services and, and referral relationships. Maybe, maybe Valerie, you can, you know, say a bit more about. Uh, well, you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't work without each other. Uh, yeah. As I was saying earlier on, you, You've got that support. You phone up. You say, "Have you heard from so and so?" And they say, "No," or they say, "Yes," or "Oh no, they've got a new phone." Because young people have changed their phones quite often, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, no, the connection is um, is, is is you know an absolute necessity. Uh, you, you certainly can't do it alone to navigate and address the complex and multiple challenges they may face. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but as as you said, there's just not enough of us around. Absolutely not enough of us around. So um, that's, yeah, I think James pretty well said it all. That's great. Yeah. And as you've mentioned, there just isn't, um, young people aren't getting, like 3% of people get legal, young people get legal help for the problems. Um, and obviously there's not enough services around. But so what would you say are the biggest challenges facing youth advice services today? I mean, I'd be tempted to to just say funding, funding, and more funding, but that's the easy answer in a yeah, way. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, there are other ways of looking at it, and it, or kind of breaking that down. And so, I think the first thing I would mention is is recognition for youth advice services. You know, ever since I've been involved in the advice sector. Youth advice services have been very much um, on the periphery of the advice sector, a bit like their clients are sort of marginalised. I think, you know, youth advice services also to some extent. 
Um, and as you know, you know, the, the legal sector is quite hierarchical um, with lawyers and specialist services and mainstream services generally being accorded higher status within that system than services for specific communities or, or client groups. Which personally, I think is, you know, is really regrettable um, and and maybe a reflection of a, a certain degree of protectionism, maybe in the sector. Uh, and, and certainly, I think, an outdated concept of um, technical legal expertise being much more important, somehow having a kind of greater value than other aspects of quality that clients might might themselves see as more important, such as quality of access and quality of service experience. Um, obviously, what you, you know in an ideal service, you know you you can combine all three, and that, and that's probably what we get in you know in a service like Youth Legal. You are, you are actually combining all three of those things, and then you are really onto a winner when you're working with young people, and you're much more likely to achieve high quality outcomes that, that matter to young people. Um, so yeah, recognition I'd say is the, the first thing. Um, and then the second thing I'd, I'd highlight is the workforce. Um, you know, we've got quite an aging advice sector. Um, it's, it's hard as well to, to offer new, new talent who might be coming into the sector prospects of, of sort of well-paid secure careers, uh, particularly in social welfare law. Uh, and you know, everyone's knackered. Um, after kind of like, you know, this is a sort of, you know, workload just to seem to ramp up year after year after year. So we need to keep staff well-being really high up on the agenda across the advice sector. And then um, the third thing I'd, I'd mention is, is the importance of, of joining up advice services with health. Um, you know, we, we know that it makes sense. I think everyone in the advice sector knows that. Um, and it particularly makes sense for young people, given the significance of, of mental health for young people with advice problems. But there's still a lot of work to do uh, for the advice sector to make the case for advice to policymakers in the NHS. And I would love to see uh, a much more concerted effort from the whole advice sector around that. I think I think I think a biggest one of the biggest challenges as well is keeping keeping specialist legal advice access open to young people. Um, it, it, it just you know again getting getting the word out there that there is help and there you know is possible and the whole world isn't against you that the law actually is on your side for these things um because usually you know young people they you know it's against them rather than rather than for them um so yeah and contacting clients making sure that, that you know the information is out there um also uh, along with the uh, workforce is training new new solicitors to come in, into it I mean, with the way legal aid funding is now, because that's what we're pretty well, you know, very dependent on. It's it's just just on the margins of of survival for any uh, any um, organization if they just are surviving on legal aid. Um, so yeah, and it's hard to get people attracted to it if it's you know you're not going to have a decent career and you know have make a decent living and be able to go out and buy a house one day. Mm. Yeah, get a mortgage, get into debt, <laughs> get legal advice. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I feel like um, running, <laughs> a running theme throughout all the podcast episodes, to be honest. When it comes well, to I have to section. say that the funders, I think the funders uh, are getting a handle and understanding how important legal advice is for, for, for the population in general to, um, you know, to the well people's well-being. And it does help people's it, it, mental health. Uh, you know, once they're out of debt, you know, their debts are sorted out, they've got some decent housing or housing at all. You know, it, it's a huge relief on, on, on people and it does make them 
you know, um, feel better. Uh, but that's really hard to show. It's really hard to show funders and it's really hard to show big funders, especially. But again, some funders are, are realizing that it's young people. It's really important for young people, uh, especially as legal advice for, for young people. So um, that, that, that's just like bubbling, uh, on, bubbling underneath. To, to, it's starting to come through. So hopefully we're getting through a little bit anyways. Yeah. That's really welcome. Yeah. If that's, I, mean, I think you're right, Valerie, and, and that's really welcome if that is the case. Yeah. It's, it's been a long struggle getting kind of recognition that, that young people need legal advice too. So, yeah, yeah, really important. Um, yeah, and I suppose on the theme of recognition, and we talked a lot about sort of access and provision and things like that. Um, in terms of actually increasing the engagement, so obviously there's lots of young people out there. Like you said, was it three percent of the uh, young people are only able to access legal advice? I mean, what kind of steps or things do you think um, you could look into doing in terms of increasing engagement of young people with the youth advice services? Like, is it a case of messaging? Is it just you know getting making them aware that these things are here? Like, what kind of things would you recommend? I suppose. James, are you going to take that one? Sure, or, I'll, I'll take that first. Me. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think I think it's far, I think it's not really such an issue for youth advice services, to be honest, because I think um, you know most youth advice services are already engaging very successfully with young people. Um, so, so it's you know the bigger question is probably how can mainstream adult advice services increase their engagement with young people? Um, uh, you know, and I think. The, the first challenge that, that most services will need to overcome is, is a kind of widespread lack of awareness amongst young people of their services. But also, even before that, you know, young people need to have an awareness that they have rights that, that they might be able to get advice on in the first place. So, so services, um, you know, adult services, I think, need to put a lot of effort into marketing themselves to, to this age group. Uh, and and also to, to to improve young people's legal capability and awareness of of their rights and services. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think as far as youth advice services are concerned, I think the challenge is maybe in terms of sort of engagement with young people is 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 more now around um, how best to empower young people to have their voices heard by policymakers. Um, you know, many young people feeling ignored, they're feeling marginalised and powerless. Um, but actually, they have all of the best solutions to the policy change challenges that are affecting them. So, you know, it, there's no point, all, you know, all these professionals sitting around trying to come up with policy solutions when, when young people have the solutions. So it makes sense to harness their expertise and bring them around into policy spaces um, and listen to them and, and act on what they say. And, and then we're, we're, we're most likely to, yeah. you know, to come up with the right well, solutions. There's, there's, there's research out there that already states that. And, um, you know, and more services need to be made available. Um, and, and again, public legal education, uh, such as, you know, we do training sessions where we, that we carry out for young people and, and organizations that work with young people. Um, uh, and, and of course, there's a young people's legal rights conference, um, which I'll continually plug on about <laughs> every year. Uh, and we, it's good turnout. People from across the country join us now. At, well, they did it when it was, um, at the uh, universities that hosted it. Um, very brilliantly. Um, so, you know, uh, young people just need to know what their legal rights are. Um, uh, and again, um, and again, I agree with uh, James, you know, give, give, give young people a voice, give, give them the opportunity in policy work and, um, to engage in policy work. And, uh, you know, for instance, Youth Legal has, uh, young trustees, a couple of young trustees. 
and and we also have just established the youth advisory board. Uh, and uh, so there, the youth advisory board are going to be um, you know, informing youth legal of what was necessary next to do. Now, whether it be from the website to the next type of law that we take on board to, uh, you know, you know, serve how the services are provided, it, it, you know, everywhere. Uh, business plan, you know, looking, they're going to be involved in the strategic planning. So, yeah, they, they need to be more involved in these sort of services that are that are for them. So they can say what they need. Yeah, and I think youth legal are, are, are doing some great work around around all of that. Um, and and, I th- and most youth advice agencies will be doing similar stuff. What was the difficult challenge around that is actually the the resourcing of it, uh, and that's you know that it, it's actually quite difficult for you know the the legal advice funders are probably not going to to fund an organisation like youth legal to to. Do its um its youth engagement work so it, so you know youth legal will need to go somewhere else for that kind of that kind of resource so there's um so I think that's that there is a real challenge in resourcing that work because it's very time consuming to to do the kind of engagement with young people that's really meaningful and is high quality and, and doesn't just kind of isn't to, isn't tokenistic and, and wastes young people's time so so I think there's a, there there's some big challenges around it but it's absolutely necessary um but that but that is for yeah for youth advice services i think the the, the mainstream advice services have a, have a kind of more fundamental issue with how they how they 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 make themselves known and present themselves to young people if they can go further than that and actually make their services properly young person friendly all the better but um but yeah the first step is probably just to kind of raise their raise awareness of their services just yeah just in general um yeah, well, the next question, good opportunity to do some plug-in for the conference. Um, I was going to ask, how can we improve sort of public legal education among young people? So in terms of, like you said, sort of empowering them and sort of giving them the knowledge, I suppose, that helps them have a step up in terms of facing these kind of challenges. Uh, I think, yeah, more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, More money. Um, people people trained up to, to, to engage with young people, again, um, Public legal education for for young people uh, is it's can can be a bit difficult, um, uh, and um, you know, and there's, there's there's no policy on that. Um, we need uh, young people's rights really should be on the on the national curriculum. Um, we've had experiences of trying to get into schools and uh, other uh, establishments, and and young people. I don't know if they're necessarily afraid. I don't think I've had seen any research or just not interested or because nothing's happened to them. They don't think it's that important. If it's not on the curriculum, they don't have to study. They won't necessarily come to a, you know, an hour long class that they, they don't have to really be there. So yeah, putting on the curriculum would be an immense uh, achievement and really, really help. Even if it's just, you know, an hour a month or something. Yeah, I think Valerie, you've hit on something there, but around, um, you know, it's quite difficult educating young people in, in schools around their rights and the, and the law. But actually, yeah, I mean, it'd be great that if, if rights and the law is on the curriculum, um, so that young people can have a basic understanding of the legal system and the rule of law. But, but one of the best moments to talk to young people about their rights is when they're at a stage in their life when they're about to start experiencing legal problems. So that's probably when they're, you know, they're gaining more independence from their parents and carers at the point where they're leaving home or they're moving into employment, for example. Um, and 
you know, and actually we know how to do it because, you know, when I was at Youth Access, we had a whole project called Make Our Rights Reality where we developed, um, uh, you know, the tools and, and methods for doing, for working with young adults around legal capability. So that, so that, so we know how to do it. There is a need for funding to kind of roll that out and, and, uh, enable more young people to, to benefit from that. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges of, of, um, of delivering public legal education to, young people is is actually that need to combine the skills of a youth worker with the legal knowledge of a lawyer mm. uh, in mm. order to deliver effective legal education to young people and and there are very few individuals who have both those skills so um you can bring the prof professionals from the two sectors together but that's you know that's not easy to do either so um and that's where again i think an organization like youth legal has that ability to bring both sets of skills together um because you have young people's lawyers who, who understand young people they've got the youth work skills as well as the legal knowledge um and and they can actually do that work so um, you know, it's the ideal place for PLE for young people to, to happen, yeah. I think. We started a project with Lewisham uh, Refugee and Migrant Network, LRM, yes, and um, doing that specifically for young people. And it was great because a youth worker worked with us to set up uh, the slides and everything and, uh, you know, just to, to be more youth friendly. Well, we didn't have that expertise and, and she did. So it and, and they did. So it really worked out well. And. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, COVID came along and the project sort of went to ground. But um, yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that the two the two come together like that it does really work. And you've been doing some really good webinars, haven't you, with um, with young with uh, particular sort of disadvantaged groups and yeah. young people recently? Which Karis, yeah, well. Karis, young migrants, yes, that that that's gone really well. Homelessness and, and children's services issues before eight housing before eighteen and housing after eighteen. And, and we're going to be doing some um, uh, financial capability and, and money money uh, training uh, soon. That's another one we've set up. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But it was great. The one with the financial capabilities that uh, uh, that, that uh, Hope did, he um, he was training some people at Regenerate, that's the, the, uh, the offices where we work. And um, a couple of days later, the young man, when the young man came back, and was so proud because he had went to the DWP and sorted out his issue with them. Uh, and, you know, and it just made such a difference. And, and what happens then is that you have the, um, then they go tell a friend. And that's the best place. To, that's actually the best way to spread the word. If they get it right, if they're trained, they get it right. Then they go tell a friend. And of course, the, uh, telling a friend where we are and who we are is again, again, you know, I suppose, which has a bit, bit of public legal education as well. And also, you know, the in increasing the engagement of young people, that, that'll, that, that'll uh, work that way because telling a friend, telling a friend is always the best way. Oh, so great. Sounds like you're doing a lot of work on this issue um, and a lot of different, different approaches to it. Uh, is there anything more that funders and policymakers can do to support these changes? I have to say one thing, though, because it's really great uh, working with James now because I've been doing this for you know years now, and I don't realize what we're doing really. It's just because to me, it's like every day. This is what we do. This is how we do it. Doesn't everybody? Yeah, of course, doesn't everybody. And then James comes along. And we're working with him, and he sort of points out, "No, nobody else is doing that." I'm like, "Oh, really? <laughs> where, where were we? Sorry, Rachel." Uh, just asking what funders and policymakers can do. Yeah. Oh, um, well, I think yeah, yeah. I. Go ahead, James. Well, I mean, I was going to say there's no, I mean, at the moment, you know, there hasn't been any serious youth policy 
in this country mm. for over 10 years yeah. now. Um, and, you know, it's pretty clear, unfortunately, that young people aren't, aren't really a priority for this government. Um, and, you know, what we need is a, is, is a really joined up policy making um, for, for young people that matches the joined up nature of young people's needs and of, of, of a good youth advice service. Um, I mean, focusing on the, the, the justice system specifically, I mean, and legal aid, maybe, um, you know, one of the one of the problems has always been the way that legal aid contracts are configured and and sort of categorized by area of law um which kind of militates against the way that young you know that that kind of spread of the holistic nature of young people's needs so you know what we what we know is needed is is a, a young people's law category yeah that reflects definitely. that interrelated knowledge that lawyers advising young young people need across several subject categories including housing uh, community care, welfare benefits and employment. Um, that would really help, I think, um, advice agencies provide a more joined up service to young people with, with legal aid funding and ensure that actually that, I think that would encourage a, a kind of network of, um, of specially trained young people's lawyers, which, which is what young people are asking for. They don't want to just be advised by any old lawyer. They want young people who have been trained specifically to work with young people. Um, and, and I think more broadly too, um, It'd be quite nice if the, the, the Ministry of Justice, um, could, could get really involved in some, there's some international work I'm involved in at the moment, which is about developing a model for child friendly justice. Um, and, and I think changing the mindset of policymakers, um, so that, so that they prioritize children and young people's rights is really critical in this. Cause actually, if you haven't got that mindset, that culture around that, um, then, then it's never going to be prioritized. Um, so, yeah, and I think there are things that, that other funders can do too, um, you know, by maybe by, by kind of recognising the inequity within the advice sector that leaves young people far less likely to access advice than other age groups. I mean, it's great, Valerie, that you think that's that may be already happening to some extent. And and to sort of target more, more funding and investment at agencies and projects which are attempting to bring together that legal expertise with the youth work skills, um, whether that's at local level or on a more strategic level. Um, you know, I think that's, that, that, that'd be great for, for funders to kind of encourage that work as well. Um, and, you know, a bit more unrestricted core funding, I'm sure would be nice too. Yep. That's always <laughs> nice. It's always nice and a bit more trust, I suppose. Um, but I think there was some huge cuts to the youth services pre COVID. Um, again, to austerity, um, I saw in Wandsworth youth clubs closing left, right, and centre. Fortunately, ours didn't. Um, uh, and, um, you know, there was government money that was promised for youth services that haven't happened. Um, and, um, and there's nothing on the agenda for it either. So, you know, policymakers could be looking at that. And I think we're looking at, uh, you know, we need a rights based policy. Um, uh, but it, but then, you know, I can sort of see, well, policymakers aren't going to do that because then, oh, they're going to challenge us. Look what they're doing to JR right now. There's trying to prevent people challenging, the, you know, the government um, by, by cutting back uh, JR, uh, on judicial reviews. That's where you challenge um, a decision that the local authority or the you know, central government has, has made. That's the only way you can do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, they don't, do they want that? No, they're not going to want that. It means, it means more money, more problems for, for them. 
Yeah. So, uh, and again, I, I concur with, with James, but the funders. But as I said, I think I think there's a, a bit of a, a change in the funders' understanding, uh, especially during this COVID, the, the, the COVID um, crisis. Uh, funders have realized the need for legal 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 help uh, for for everybody, but um, a little bit more for young people as well, um, because they knew what cuts were going to happen with the courts closing. Um, you know, fortunately, people weren't um, evicted out, out of their homes, but you know that's still that's still looking like it's going. It could happen quite shortly. So, I think that actually brought that to the fore as well. The COVID, the COVID crisis, brought that to the fore. Great, thank you. Um, just one concluding, broad concluding question then for you both. Um, what do you think the future of youth advice in the UK should look like? And if Valerie wants to go first. Well, I think uh, I think uh, we we were talking about this, and 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 it's so true. It, why ask us? Ask young people. Um, ask young people what they want. Um, Dave, as as James been talking about the 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 research at Youth Access, um, they've they've uh, you know done a lot of research on that. They've done a, a youth advice manifesto. The young people voiced what they wanted, how they wanted it. Um, and um yeah and that's that's what that's what we we bring to them and um and yeah so 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 as, as i said that that's there um i think james touched on earlier on a special category of funding under legal aid um including early advice on housing that was taken away in, in the last bow um changes uh, benefits there's no benefits advice anymore I mean, we cleared up so many benefit problems when they used to be used to be able to do benefit by less problems on the Department of Work and Pension. Um, um, employment, nobody can get employment law advice. You have to pay for it pretty, yeah. And um, fortunately, they, you know, stopped having, uh, you know, a court case to stop having to pay fees to go to the tribunal on employment cases um, was one. Um, yeah, so bringing all that stuff back, especially a particular category of funding for young people. Uh, say up to the age of 25. I mean, you might even push it to 30, but definitely up to the age of 25. Uh, but this also, you know, a special funding, uh, a special category funding would also encourage uh, young people's lawyers um, to come in and stay on board if there, if there was more of a chance of them being able to actually make a career of it, I'm sure. Which we don't have a new, a new as James said, we don't have a new uh, suite of uh, young lawyers coming through doing this, young legal aid lawyers coming through doing this. And, there's no hope. <laughs> I'd agree with with everything you're saying there, Valerie. Um, and and like you say, you know, young people have answered this question, haven't they? In their in their Make Our Rights Reality manifesto, yeah. and that and that really that does set out in you know it's it's maybe a few years old now, about five years old now, but actually. Um, and it'd be nice to kind of do that exercise with young people again and see what, see if anything's changed. I, would, I kind of doubt it in a way. And, and, you know, but they, they've kind of set out a roadmap for what needs to be done. So they, you know, they, they've asked for, for better public legal education targeting them. Uh, they've asked for better investment in youth advice and counseling services in every community. Um, you know, they've asked for access to specialist young people's lawyers. They've asked for, Systems advice bureaus to become more young person friendly, um, and they've asked for statutory services to to put young people's rights ahead of the needs of the system. So yeah, we've kind of touched on all of these things in this in this interview, actually. And um, you know, if if you ask that, this is a good example of of how if you ask young people, they'll they'll come up with this stuff themselves, um, and that is where where the solutions should should come from. So, and actually, everything they're asking for in that manifesto 
is all totally reasonable and mm. um, wouldn't be that expensive. It'd be a great investment um, no. if it was all implemented. So, well, if the amount of money that's saved, and this is something that the amount of money that's saved on on the future of young people. If you had a homeless young people, they're going to get you know exploited and go on and you know go to the gangs, the county you know, gangs and, you know, dealing in drugs and stuff. I mean, I think Keir Starmer was saying in the paper today, uh, you know, how how he's seen, you know, with the cuts, cutbacks that have, that have happened, the rise in, in from when he was a public prosecutor uh, office, yeah, CPA, uh, it, that, you know, a huge rise in youth, youth, youth crime has, has happened over the last several years. And that's was when youth services were cut back. And and you know the kids don't have any support that they need just to you know to keep to keep to keep them busy, I suppose without uh, being uh, used by other people. Um, yeah, so so I think that, that that's a you know really important point, and it's really hard to prove that to people, and it's usually because um, most governments are terribly short-sighted. You know how long they're going to be in government for three, four, 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 five years. Yeah, but this is a you know, ten years. This is, you know, get a sixteen-year-old and they're working and and uh, and uh, you know earning and paying taxes when they're twenty-six years old instead of you know going in and out of prison mm. because they actually failed to their education because they didn't have any support from the extra teachers or the extra youth workers to help them go. They uh, help them keep going, and you know it's really hard to measure that, but it's a huge amount, a huge amount of money. I think it's something like, I think it, James, you might know this. It's sixty thousand pounds a year to have a person in prison. Something like that. It's a huge amount of money. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So that that shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's a false economy, I think they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very. It's very frustrating. I think you just think short-term investment, long-term gain. You know, it's it's literally. (laughs) Well, yeah. I'm sure there's lots to be said. And not only that. that, no, sorry, not only that. It's if you know the, the, the young people are our future. Yeah. They're going to be the next politicians. Yeah, you know, they're going to be. They're, you know, what a waste of potential yeah. as well. Not even money wise, just pet- human potential. Yeah, definitely. Um, lots, lots to be said about that. I think. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's it for all of the, the the general questions. There, there is one last question that we are asking all guests of the podcast um feel free to answer feel free to not answer as well um obviously the podcast is called slice of advice so in the theme of the slice um <laughs> if the advice sector or your specific sector maybe the youth sector was a cake uh, what kind of cake would you describe it as anyone anyone can go for that one <laughs> have you come up with anything on this panel? <laughs> well, we did. Uh, yes, I said a very small cake. Very yeah. small. That needs to be. <laughs> and then, you know, so with lots of different ingredients and unusual ingredients, yeah. I think. And James took it off to see, yeah, it's a Christmas cake, a little small Christmas cake, <laughs> especially what was it? It was only six pence in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, yeah. it, was, it was like, yeah, you're meant to feel lucky if you manage to unearth the odd six pence. You're kind of that, yeah. that kind of fits. Um, I, I was going to go for. Uh, for carrot cake in the end because um, it's 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 a sector that's in touch with its roots and down to earth and good for you so it's a bit cheesy but um yeah <laughs> and, and and i think um you know young people and youth advice services deserve a bigger slice of of that cake yeah. um because it's you know they're, they're they're getting a bit of a raw deal at the moment from from where you know in terms of where the, the resource goes at the moment um so you know yeah rather than 
young people in youth advice services being on the margins. Let's let's give them a bigger slice of that cake. That's, that's absolutely great. I'm loving the range of cakes we're getting on the, this, this answer. And I think the cheesier the cake, the better. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much, Valerie and James. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and you've given us a lot to think about as a sector in a whole and, and the, youth, the youth advice sector itself. Um, so thanks again for, um, for coming pleasure. on the podcast. Thanks for having thanks. us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to A Slice of Advice with ASA. I'd like to thank the podcast team volunteers, Anita Sanger and Tom Stallard for making this episode possible. If you have a suggestion for an episode, drop us a line at Pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hit subscribe now wherever you get your podcast or follow us on Twitter to make sure you get your regular Slice of Advice. Bye for now. Thank you.